Mark chapter 1, verses 16 through 20. In Mark chapter 1, verse 16, the Bible tells us, Now as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And Jesus said unto them, Come ye after me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. And straightway they forsook their nets and followed him. And when he had gone a little further thence, he saw James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, who also were in the ship mending their nets. And straightway he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the ship with the hired servants and went after him. The gospel according to Mark was written to record what Peter taught about Christ. Mark, seeing that Peter was being martyred or that he was martyred, saw the need to put his teachings into writing. Now the book of Mark, when I set up these books and I say this is why so-and-so wrote the book, they are still inspired scripture. The, the Holy Ghost breathed the words that these men wrote. But there was a, a context, there was an occasion, there was something that prompted the writing of the book. Mark teaches us who Jesus is by what Jesus did. And in our passage today, Mark records the calling of the apostles of Christ. Jesus calls them to follow him. Jesus calls them to become fishers of men. What's it mean to be fishers of men? To become a fisher of men. You know, it's interesting because... The stuff I've read on the book of Mark tells us that Mark wrote what Peter taught about Jesus. And one of the first things that Mark mentions after he gives the central message of the ministry of Christ, he tells us that Jesus called them to be fishers of men. This obviously would have stood out to Peter. This made an impression on Peter because Peter was a fisherman by trade. It was his craft. It's what he knew. When, when Peter was on the water fishing, the world made sense to him. And that's why in John chapter 21, when Jesus has risen from the grave and he's appeared to the disciples and then he disappears, then he appears to the disciples and he disappears and they are commanded to wait until they are in, in, they are given power from on high. Peter is sitting there with the disciples and he doesn't know how to make sense of this new life that he's got. And so he says in John chapter 21 verse 3, I go a fishing. And now for us, that means I'm putting the rod and reel in the truck and I'm going away for a little while. But for Peter, what he was saying was, I'm going back to a world that makes sense. It was less, I need a break, and more, midnight train to Georgia. Okay, going back to a world he once knew. That's where Peter was going. And so, this is what Peter understood. He understood fishing. And when Jesus said, come, and I will make you fishers of men, he was not only calling his apostles to follow him, he was telling them what they would be doing. They would become fishers of men. And what this means is they would be laboring to bring people into the presence of Christ. That's what Jesus meant when he said, come, and I will make you fishers of men. And Jesus calls us. To do the same thing. He calls us to be fishers of men. He calls us to labor. To bring people into the presence of Christ. This morning we're going to talk about this. We're going to talk about bringing people into the presence of Christ. Brother Wayman says that we have got a great place here. We need to witness to people and bring them into the church. Brother Jimmy has made the same statement this morning. 
I've got to tell you, it warms my heart to see y'all making these statements. I, it, you know, whenever somebody stands up and says, and this is this has happened before, where somebody says, we've got great teachers here, we've got great preachers here, we need people to hear the word. I'm honored by that. But when we are laboring to bring people into the presence of the Lord, we need to remember that's what we're doing. We're not merely trying to grow a church here. We're not merely trying to build a following within these walls. We're not merely trying to fill these seats. There's 71 or 72 of them in here. Uh, we have some capacity here. All right? We're not merely trying to fill, the, fill these seats. What we are trying to do, the important thing that we can do, the most important thing that we are doing, is bringing people into the presence of the Lord. Fishing was not recreation in Jesus' day. You got a day off today, what are you doing? Fishing. What? That'd be like saying, you got a day off today, what are you doing? I'm digging a ditch. That's a, sometimes you have to dig a ditch on your day off. Sometimes you find where the water is pooling in the backyard and you have to create a way for it to drain off. Um, but that's not the ideal way to spend a day off, is it? And that's what they would think back then. Now, fishing was labor. And so we are to labor to bring people into the presence of Christ. And so when we become fishers of men, there are three things we need to remember, that we need to keep in mind. There are three things that we are called to do in this passage that we need to keep at the top of our minds. The first thing is that we are called to follow Jesus. Jesus said, come after me and I will make you fishers of men. The first thing Jesus said, come after me, means to follow me. We are called to follow Jesus. We are also called to cast a wide net. The way they fished was important. This is an important detail of the call to become fishers of men. We will talk about that. We are also called to work together. Um, when they cast those nets, when it came to drawing that net back up in the boat, this was a job that, that took more than one person. You could not do this by yourself. This is something that if you tried to do it in isolation, you would find yourself frustrated and overwhelmed. And, you know, I think the love of the disciples for Peter is what motivated them when Peter said, I go fishing, they say, we go with you. You know, Peter says, I'm going fishing. They say, dude, you're going to need some help. We're going to go with you. We are called to work together. Jesus said, come ye after me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. We are called to follow Jesus. Jesus said, come ye after me. Come behind me. Follow after me. Follow me. Fall in behind me. Go where I go. Follow me as we go. Learn from me. That's what Jesus is saying. He is saying to follow him. I know this seems like this is pretty basic, but sometimes I think we forget this idea. Sometimes I think we forget about the concept of following Jesus. We become so wrapped up in our own worlds that we begin to wonder how Jesus will fulfill what's going on in our worlds, and we forget to center those worlds around Jesus and what he wants. The concept of following Jesus for the disciples simply meant that Jesus led, the disciples followed. It's simple. Jesus went places. He went to Capernaum. He went to Nazareth. He went to the coast of Tyre and Sidon. He went down to Jerusalem. The Bible tells us that going back to, uh, to Galilee, that he must needs pass through Samaria. So Jesus was the one determining where the disciples went. 
because he was the one that went, they followed after him. When they were deciding where to go, Jesus didn't sit down and say, okay, guys, I'm focus grouping this thing. What's the next best market we can go to to reach people? And Peter says, well, you know, I kind of like uh, the Decapolis. And John says, yeah, but you know what? Nobody's really gone to Bethany lately. Maybe we could go down there. Maybe there's an untapped market there. That wasn't going on. Jesus went. They followed. Because Jesus didn't have to do market research. Jesus knew where the lost souls were. So he told the disciples, come ye after me. Follow me. Follow behind me. For us... Following Jesus means that we put him first and center. We hear his teaching. When I say we hear his teaching, it means we are listening. We are taking it in. When you read his teachings in the scriptures, you're hearing his teaching. This means that we are hearing his words. We are internalizing them. We are considering them. And not only are we considering them, learning them, internalizing them, but we begin to follow his teaching, to apply those teachings to our lives, to put into practice what Jesus told us to do in the scriptures. We follow his teachings. We hear his teaching. We follow. We apply it to our lives. And as we follow Jesus, and as our faith in Jesus builds, and we begin to center our lives around him and what his mission is, and not try to get him to somehow fulfill some desire within our heart, but our desire is to fulfill his desire. As we make that transformation and that change, we will begin to realize that the work that is accomplished is his. Throughout the rest of this chapter, you've got miracles. You have the blind that see, the lepers cleansed. You have the evil devils, the the evil spirits, the demons cast out of the man. You have miracles that happen. It was Jesus who cast out the unclean spirits. It was Jesus who healed Simon Peter's mother-in-law of the fever. It was Jesus who cleansed the lepers. It's Jesus that does it. See, the thing is, we don't have to do market research. Barna surveys are good for determining what the attitudes of the culture are. But... We don't have to have survey data to tell us how to share the gospel with people, to how to break down those barriers, to how to present the gospel in such a way that people will digest it. From time to time, we have to give our dogs pills, heartworm medications, stamp is on heart medication. I've got a dog on heart meds. Let's, let's put that up near the top of the list of things Leland never thought he'd say 20 years ago. All right. You know, you can imagine when it comes to taking these heart medications, these dogs just line up and they're excited to have heartworm medication, right? You think that's the way the dogs behave? Y'all ever try to give a pill to a dog? They invent, they invent, they suddenly grow orifices within their mouth to be able to eject the pill. I mean, it's like, dude, this would be a lot easier if you just swallow it, but they will fight that tooth and nail. But if you take a craft single, or you can even do this with a generic single cheese. The, 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 the stuff that Josh says doesn't even qualify as cheese. You know, it's individually wrapped. You buy it for a couple of dollars in a pack of 20 at the, at the store. You know, you unwrap. First of all, that dog can hear the cheese wrapper. He won't hear you calling him from the next room, but he'll hear the cheese wrapper from down the road. 
He hears that cheese wrapper. He's, he's, your, he's your best friend now. And so how do we give the dogs the cheese? We take, or the pill, we take the pill, we wrap it up in the cheese, and this stuff is such a low quality, it kind of melts around the pill. And they want the cheese, and they swallow the cheese, and they can't help but swallow the pill. And that's how we give our medicine to our dogs. A lot of, a lot of Christians, a lot of Bible teachers, a lot of preachers believe that to give people the gospel, you've got to wrap it up in the cheese. You've got to conceal the fact that you're giving them the gospel. Like we conceal the fact we're giving our dogs appeals. And so we have to wrap this in all kinds of entertainment. Because if people are going to receive the gospel, we've got to figure out how to get them to hear it and to believe it and to internalize it. And so we've got to, we've got to go get some cheese. For all the brilliance of man's marketing genius, it is Christ who penetrates rock-solid hearts and transforms people with the gospel. It's Jesus who saves. It's Jesus who changes lives. It's Jesus who hears our prayers and intercedes to the Father. It's not our wisdom. I can obtain ten more degrees of education, bachelor's degrees, master's degrees, doctorate degrees, lawyer degrees, whatever. It doesn't matter how good I get. I can become the most skilled debater in the world. And I can't make people accept the gospel. That's the work of Christ. It's not our wisdom. It's not our innovation. It's not our ability to come up with a gimmick to get people through the front door. It's not our ability to find the right kind of cheese to wrap the pill of the gospel in. It's not our innovation. It is Christ working through the Holy Spirit with the blessing of the Father that reaches people, that transforms people, that changes people. Our job in all this is merely to follow the Lord, to minister, to pray, and to serve. Jesus told Nathaniel. Nathaniel says, oh, we're going back to John chapter 1. And Nathaniel you know, is underneath this fig tree and they come to him and they say, we have found the Christ. He is in Nazareth. And he says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And he goes to meet Jesus. And Jesus says, behold, an Israelite in whom there is no guile. And this amazes Nathaniel because this is exactly what he was thinking about. And Nathaniel says, man, that's pretty impressive. And Jesus said, you're impressed by that? Let me tell you, you're going to see a lot greater things than that. Our following Jesus is where we see the miracles. We cannot bring about the miracles on our own. We cannot conjure up the miracles. If you want to see miracles, and when it comes to seeing miracles, why you want to see the miracles is, a, is important as well. Why do you want to see the miracles? Do you want to see the people healed in the miracles? Or do you want to see the miracles for the sake of seeing the miracles? Do you want to see God transform lives? Or do you just want to see a great show? That's the difference between the people who follow Jesus who saw the miracles and how he performed those miracles for them and why Jesus refused to perform the miracle for Herod. Because Herod just wanted a show. I'm off topic. When it comes to seeing Christ save, to seeing Christ transform lives, to seeing him 
hear our prayer and answer our prayers, we must follow him. We must present his message on his behalf and allow his spirit to do the work. We must follow Jesus. He says, come ye after me and I will make you to be fishers of men. And let's notice how the disciples, how they respond to this in verses 18 through 20. And straightway they forsook their nets and followed him. And when he had gone a little further thence, he saw James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, brother, who were also in the ship mending their nets. And straightway he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the ship with the hired servants and went after him. To follow Jesus, they left it all behind. They left their nets. Man, that is business material. That is tools of the trade. Th those nets don't come easy. They don't come cheap. That's why you see them repairing the nets and not buying new ones. They left their nets. They left their careers. They left their businesses and their assets. They left their families. Everything they knew, their comfort zone, their, their, their world, they left it all behind to follow Jesus. To follow Jesus, we too must leave it all. Amen. Saying, Leland, do I have to quit my job and leave my family? That's not necessarily what I'm saying. I mean, there are some who are called to special ministry, who are called to missions, which means they are called to leave their life here for a life God has called them to do. God calls you to foreign missions. That means you're going to leave the life that you came to know here in favor of another life altogether. But not everybody's called to do that. Being called to leave it all does not always mean that you leave here. Being called to leave it all means that you leave what you have come to grasp onto. You will have to leave your unscriptural beliefs. The, the, the beliefs and the things that you have in your mind that run contrary to scripture. We have to leave those behind. We have sometimes, you may think I'm being judgmental on this, but I am telling you, we have to leave behind the friends that will hinder our walk with God. Aren't I supposed to witness to them, Brother Leland? Are you witnessing to them, or are they hindering your walk with God? Jesus said to not... Throw your pearls before swine or to give that which is holy to the dogs. Said that in the Sermon on the Mount. What was he referring to? Was he talking about your jewelry box? No. He said to give that not to throw not your pearls before swine or to give that which is holy to the dogs, lest they tend and rend, turn and rend you. That means they turn and attack you and rip you up. Um this means that if you're dealing with somebody who is expressly rejecting the gospel and is expressly rejecting God and our Lord Jesus Christ, then you are not under any obligation to continue to cast your pearls, the gospel message, before them. You are under no obligation to continue that relationship. Because let me tell you something, when you decide, I am going to follow Jesus, Satan has a way of sending his messengers. And his messengers often come in the form of old friends and acquaintances and even family members. And they will say things like, so I suppose you're better than me now. 
you're just judging me now. Oh, I, I get it. You don't want anything to do with me now. I guess it's just, you know, why can't it be like old times? It can't be like old times because you're a new person. Sometimes you have to leave those people behind. And that is one of the most difficult things that you can find to do in life. But there are some people in your life that they don't want to heal. They don't want to be transformed. They don't want to become one of God's people. And they don't want you to either. They want you to stay right there with them in the gutter. And this is a spiritual issue. It also happens in the secular world. I have done countless visits with people who run organizations that are aimed toward helping people rise out of poverty. And they said one of the biggest obstacles they have to helping people rise out of poverty are the friends who begin to reject them once they start having success for themselves. Now, if, these, if, if Satan will use friends to keep people in earthly poverty... Don't you think he will do the same thing to keep people in spiritual poverty? Leaving it all behind, these disciples, they left their nets, they left their fathers, they left their boats, they left their families, they left their careers. In some cases, they left the fish that they caught to follow Jesus. We have to leave our unscriptural beliefs. We have to leave our friends who will hinder our walk with Christ. And you know what else? We have to leave behind our rebelliousness. Our, I've got the answers. Our, I deserve this. Our, I don't have to listen to anybody. My way or the highway. This doesn't make sense to me. I mean, there, there, there's rebellion comes in all different forms. We have to leave that behind as well. We have to leave it all behind. Following Jesus for the disciples meant starting over. They walked away from those boats, those nets, those fish. One of them, a couple of them left behind their hired servants, their employees. They left it all behind. They're following Jesus. What do they have now? What's in their pockets? What's on their shoulders? Nothing. They left it all behind. They're starting over. For us, we have to start over. We have to start over from ground floor in order to allow Christ to transform us and to rebuild us and to build us into what he has called us to be. Becoming a fisher of men means following Jesus. If we are not willing to conform ourselves to Christ, nothing else is going to matter. Are you following Christ? Are you learning from him and conforming to him? Or are you looking to Christ to fill the gaps in your life? We must be followers of Christ. Secondly, to be fishers of men, we must cast a wide net. When we read where Jesus told us to be fishers of men, we often make the mistake of putting a 21st century application to this verse. Fishing for us means a fishing pole. Fishing for us means a weekend on the lake. Fishing for us is a sunny day and a relaxing afternoon. We imagine the poles, the lines, the bait, weather equipment to tell us what the barometric pressure is so we can determine whether the fish are biting right now. We used to use Farmer's Almanac at a station I worked for back in East Texas. And one of the things we were supposed to do when we gave the weather forecast, 
You listen to the weather forecast here. It's sunny with a high of 35 degrees, a low tonight of 19 degrees, and 20% chance of rain tomorrow. At KWRD in Henderson, Texas, we gave all that information, but I was also supposed to give you the hunting and fishing times out of the Farmer's Almanac. And so I would read that, you know, hunting and fishing times today, 6.20 a.m. and 8.20 tonight. And so that was supposed to tell you when the barometric pressure would be just right that those fish were ready to eat. And that's the best time to have your minnow in the water because that's when they're going to bite at it. All right. For us, fishing means figuring out when they're going to eat. Fish finders and other tools to help us find the fish. That's how you go fishing in 21st century America. Unless you work on a shrimping boat for the Bubba Gump Company. But that's a, that's a different application altogether. And so with this 21st century idea of fishing, poles, rods, reels, spoon lures, minnows, stink bait, what have you, the unfortunate application that many Christians apply to this verse, come after me and I will make you to become fishers of men, is that they believe that they become fishers of men, we must find the right bait and find the right fishing hole. A couple of men up on uh, Lake, I think it was Lake Abilene, somewhere up north of here. Couldn't have been Lake Abilene. That's a mud puddle of a lake. Don't tell anybody I told them that. But a couple of men up north of here caught like a record-breaking bass. Not bass, catfish. They caught, they caught a big fish. It was a catfish. Because the first question they were asked when they were, hey, we caught this huge catfish. First question the media asked them, what kind of bait did you use? Bar S hot dogs. All right, sliced them up, put them on the hook, and it works, by the way. Yeah. Got to find the right bait, the right fishing hole. That's why I have a hard time believing they caught them in Lake Abilene. All right, I don't know, I don't think that's the right fishing hole. We got to find the right fishing hole, the right market. And this has given rise to attractional ministry. What do I mean by attractional ministry? Attractional ministry is the idea of trying to draw people in to reach them with the gospel. Jesus didn't say, go ye therefore and tell everybody to come. He said, go ye therefore and teach. Attractional ministry results in worship services that feel like rock concerts. Promotional gimmicks. I read of a church, that it was a church plant, they're having their launch service. And as a way to get people in the door, they gave away a car. Do, give, do things to attract people in. You've got to have the right bait. The car was the bait. You've got to do things to get people through the door. And when we get them here, we don't want them to leave. We don't want them to get offended and leave. So make sure that you don't rock the boat once they're in here. So abandon the teaching of Bible doctrine and theology, especially something that somebody could possibly disagree over because you don't want anybody leaving in disagreement. And by the way, when you adopt that standard, you can't teach anything because there are different opinions and different interpretations of almost everything in Scripture. And so the teaching of Bible doctrine and theology has been abandoned because we don't want to offend anybody. The Bible tells us that the very concept of the gospel is offensive to people. Amen. Well, then we don't want to preach that, do we? No, we want to tell people how special they are and how much God loves them 
and how much more he will love them if they will simply come to church and how they can be a blessing to God by being here and supporting his church. And we'll just stick to that message. And then we'll have a special series on parenting and family finance and we'll call it a day. This is what we've got in contemporary Christianity today. And I'm really trying not to be negative toward this. But we've gotten to a point where we have, we're evangelizing people by telling them how much better life can be if they only believe. And that's not right. Because it's not true. Because being a believer, when you tell a lost person your life will be better if you become a believer, they're not thinking about the inward transformation. Because when you look at my spiritual life and the peace I have within myself because of my relationship with God, that has gotten better. But when you talk to a lost person, they don't see that. They can't comprehend that. What they see is their bank balance, their job situation, their prospects at the, at, in their careers and that sort of thing. And you tell them, if you become a believer, all that will get better. What does the Bible tell us about being a believer? The Bible tells about being a believer that when you come to know Jesus, there is going to be trials and tribulations and persecution, and you, you, your faith is going to be refined like gold that is being passed through the fire. Does that sound fun? No, but that's what we tell people. And as a result of everything I've talked about, the church, churches have lost their gospel message. Evangelism is ineffectual. And now we have multiple generations of biblically illiterate Christians. They don't understand the concept of repentance. They don't understand the concept of absolute truth. They don't understand the concept of obedience to God. They don't understand the concept of lost fellowship with God over their sin. They've never experienced it because they haven't noticed it because they didn't know that what they never had was missing. As a believer, as someone who has turned from their sins and trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, have you experienced fellowship with God? Have you sinned and lost that fellowship? I did. I have. Did you notice it was gone? I did. I have. But if you tell somebody that God accepts you as you are and you don't have to repent, and they don't repent, and therefore they haven't truly believed, therefore that fellowship with God has never been established, they don't notice. No. They don't notice it's missing. The man who has lived in absolute poverty in a third world country does not know what it's like to have the cable go out. The person who has never had fellowship with God does not know the experience of losing it. They never had the thing to lose in the first place. But there's good news here. The good news is that today, even though the culture is slipping away from us, the culture is going away. The good news is that today, many are starved for scriptural and theological truth. Preaching the gospel, preaching the Bible, Staying true to the scriptures, preaching repentance and faith and transformation and truth will never make us the largest church in Brown County. And that was never the goal. But we will be able to see lives changed 
people reached, people transformed. It does work. A friend of mine posted on Facebook the other night. He said, he said, um, he, 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 he posted a question about ministerial failure. And I, re- I requested what he meant by ministerial failure. And his meaning of ministerial failure is when a minister falls into sin and leaves a ministry. I agree with his assessment. That's ministerial failure. Some people say having a church with only 10 people in it would be ministerial failure. If that were the case, Noah was a failure. If having a small number of followers is ministerial failure, Jesus was a failure. Jesus started with 12, with 12 disciples, built up a following of 6,000, then lost everybody and got stuck with the 12 again. When the apostles were gathered in the upper room after the ascension of Jesus, the Bible tells us there were about 125 there. There are a lot of, there are a lot of churches and denominations that feel like only having 125 in attendance is failure. I feel like if we had 125 in attendance, I'd feel like Billy Graham up here holding a crusade. That's not where success and failure is determined. Success is are you casting that net? Are you preaching his truth? Are you obedient to him? The image when Jesus said, behold, in this passage he says, come after me and I will make you to become fishers of men. The image he was giving was the casting of a net. There is no bait with a net. You don't need hot dogs or stink bait or minnows. There's no bait with a net. The fish do not come to the net. The fish don't say, oh, look, there's a net. Let's go swim into it. No, that's why you have to drag the net. The fish do not come to the net. The net comes to the fish. Those fish are just swimming around doing fish things. And all of a sudden there's a net that sweeps them up and they don't realize what's happened until it's too late. The net comes to the fish. And this is just simple science. The wider the net is, the more fish you catch. Therefore, the fishermen in Jesus' day cast a net as wide as they could to draw in as many fish as they possibly could. Now, for us to be fishers of men, we must quit waiting on the fish to come into the net. Because it's not going to happen. The fish are not going to find, the fish are not swimming around looking for a net to go into. And yet, so many Christians are living life waiting for the fish to swim into their net. Well, I have a minnow on a line. I remember one time I was fishing with my stepfather. And I kept thinking maybe I had a fish, but I couldn't tell. Because I didn't know what it felt like to have a fish. So any movement on that line, which you know currents and things like that will do that. I yanked that, that fishing pole up, and of course it didn't have anything on it. My stepfather finally said, Leland, the fish are not going to follow the bait onto the shore and ask you to put them in the tackle box. Good thinking. The fish are not going to come to the net. The net has to go to the fish. We need to cast the net to the fish, which means we must actively share the gospel in whatever ways we can. This does mean witnessing and personal evangelism. It also means sharing them online, on Facebook, on social media. If you have a social media account, what have you been posting? You know, you know when I get on Facebook, all I see is Trump, 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 Trump. The kids made cookies. Trump, 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 Trump. 
The kids made Play-Doh. You know, it's like in 10 years, what we posted about Trump is not going to matter. For or against, it's not going to matter. Leland, yes, these are historic elections. 2004 was a historic election. 2006 was a historic election. 2008 was a historical election. Every election we've ever had has been a, a historic election. If we gave the Republican Party a supermajority in the House and the Senate, the White House, and all nine seats on the Supreme Court, we may delay the demise of what we think America should be but it ain't going to get better. Putting your faith and hope in a political party is like Israel and Hezekiah's day putting their faith in Egypt coming to rescue them. It didn't happen. I'm not going to go any further down that road. What I am going to tell you is the message you put out there on social media, the message you put on the internet, that's your personal message to the world. And when, when we are talking about how natural you look, what do you want to be remembered for as far as what you stood for? I want to be remembered for standing for the gospel and the scriptures and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I want to be remembered as a man of God. I don't know if y'all follow my Facebook rantings or not. You will notice the politics has all but disappeared. And that used to be all I ever posted about. The reason the politics has disappeared is because I don't want my legacy tied to a man who is fallible. I want my legacy tied to our perfect Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Share the gospel in whatever way you can, personally, online, through relationships, we must tell people the gospel, that Christ died for their sins, that they must repent and believe in order to be saved. As individuals, we must actively share the gospel. As a church, we must openly and proactively publish and promote the gospel however we can. We need to cast a wide net. And we must be proactive in reaching people as individuals. It's one thing to just try to put a message out there to the masses. Are we willing to stop and minister to this one individual, even though this one individual may take a lot of our time? Would Jesus stop and minister to the one individual? He did. How many times? The woman at the well, the blind man, the lepers, the, the paraplegic man that was beside the pool of Bethesda, the woman who reached out and touched the hem of his garment. Who touched me? Jesus, there's like thousands of people here. How are we supposed to know who touched you? No, somebody touched me. I felt the virtue go out of me. Who is it? This woman goes, it was me. Jesus just wanted her to know why she was healed. He put the disciples through trying to figure out out of all these thousands of people who touched Jesus' garment for the sake of just letting her know not that she was healed. She knew that immediately. He wanted her to know why she was healed. That's how important individuals are to the Lord. We must be proactive in reaching people as individuals. And this is what Jesus did. And this is what the disciples did. They preached. The disciples preached. The disciples ministered. They casted devils out of people. 
until they got to one they couldn't because they forgot why they were doing what they were doing. They baptized. They personally evangelized. Andrew meets Jesus, and he goes, man, this is the Christ. What did Andrew do? He went and found his brother Peter and said, we found the Christ. And Peter's like, really? They, they ministered. They personally evangelized. They became fishers of men. That's who we are to become. To be fishers of men, we must cast a wide net. And to be fishers of men, we must work together. The nets used by fishermen in Jesus' day were a handful. It took several men in the boat to handle the net. That's why you never see them fishing alone in the scriptures. There are always multiple people in the boat. And these were not big boats, by the way. It took several men in the boat to handle the net. In many cases, it took two boats. You never read in scripture where there was one man fishing alone. One of the biggest lies that Satan has spread over the past generations is that the church doesn't matter, that it has become culturally irrelevant, or it's merely optional. You see pithy little sayings people pass around. Be, you know, do you have to be a, a, a do you have to do you have to go to church to be a Christian? And they'll say, "Well, being in a car, uh, being in a garage, doesn't make you a car." Well, being in a church building doesn't make you a Christian. But if I have a car and I have a garage that's not full of a whole bunch of stuff, guess where I'm going to park the car? Because the car belongs in the garage. (laughs) Sometimes the car is not in the garage because the garage is full of stuff that ought not be there. That's a different sermon. But the, the false message is being put out there that you don't need the church to work for the Lord. You don't need the church to be in the Lord's presence. In fact, Satan has many people believing that they are more spiritual because they've left the church. They've left the traditions. They've left the pharisaical hypocrisy. They don't need that. They've risen above the church. You have missionaries, ministries. They've risen above the church. You know, somebody comes, I've got this ministry. I do this and so. I say, what church are you out of? Oh, well, we don't have a church. We minister for the Lord directly. There is a theological problem with that. The church is through who Christ works through. Satan has people believing they're more spiritual because they're not part of the church. He has people believing they're better off as individuals, isolated. But they're not. Seeing the picture of becoming fishers of men, we learn that gathering with the church is not merely a tradition or a commandment. It's a necessity. You couldn't fish alone in Jesus' day. Can you imagine taking those big old nets, trying to throw them out in the water and draw them up by yourself? Can you imagine how hard and how frustrating that would be? It would be almost impossible to carry out by, by yourself. And just as you could not fish alone in Jesus' day, you can't make it alone as a Christian in our day. Ministering for Christ is a team effort. None of us are self-sufficient in terms of strength. None of us are all wise in that we have all the answers. I said, you know, Brother Jim has made the statement, it's intimidating teaching and preaching here because you're preaching and teaching to a room full of preachers, pastors, former pastors, and really great disciples. But you know what? 
there are things that when I'm sitting here listening to y'all teach and preach, I'm like, I didn't, I never even thought of it that way. There's an application. There's a, there's a picture. There's an image. There's an illustration I've never thought of before. And I learned something. And I went to seminary. And yet some of y'all are more educated than I am. In fact, most of you. In fact, all of you maybe. Anyway, none of us have all the answers is what I'm saying. We all need each other. Therefore, let's come together and labor together for the Lord. Some of our efforts will be individual. There are people you know that I don't know and you're going to be the one to have to present the gospel to them. But we need to be collective in our efforts as well. We need to put forth that collective effort to bring these nets in. What does that mean? That means participation. We do a vacation Bible school. We need your participation. You say, I don't know how to teach kids. That's okay. If I waited until I knew what I was doing to start my ministry, this church may be here, but I wouldn't. Because God has a way of working without me. But, you know, if you wait till you know how to do something to do it, you'll never do it. If you wait till you're financially ready to have a baby, you'll never have a baby. You know, there's that. Participate. You're not going to break anything. You're not going to start a nuclear war. Participate. And financially support. Because some forms of outreach do require a financial investment. Chick tracks don't just show up in the mail for free. They're extremely cheap, but there is a financial investment there. So let's work together. We have had two men stand up in this congregation today and talk to us about, re- about witnessing and about inviting people to church and about spreading the gospel. And I think the Lord put their message on their heart. Because I don't think anybody knew what I was preaching this morning. I think that message is coming from the Lord. I think this message is coming from the Lord. God wants us to get busy fishing. He's given us the boat. He's given us the nets. He's given, it, he's given us each other. He's given us everything we need to have a successful fishing expedition. Therefore, let's go fishing. And as we fish, let's follow the Lord. Notice whenever, he, whenever the disciples cast the net, where he told them to cast the net, they had a net full when they brought it back up. Mm-hmm. Let's follow the Lord. Let's cast that wide net. And let's work together as we stand.